I'm sorry, let me start again. It wasn't very good anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Um, hello, everyone. Um, thanks to, for joining us uh, on our latest podcast. It's an ASCO 2020 podcast. ASCO 2020 is unusual um, because it's not in Chicago. We're very lucky to be joined here by Joachim Belmont, who's the chief investigator of the adjuvant atezolizumab study in high-risk muscle-invasive bladder cancer. Um, Disease-free survival was the primary endpoint of the study. Um, it was a one-to-one randomization, uh, and the disease-free survival endpoint was negative. It failed to achieve the goal of delaying disease-free survival. And so we've invited Joachim here today to talk a little bit about some of the detail of the study and what it means. Um, Joachim, welcome. Uh, hi, Tom. Yeah, a pleasure to be here and uh, yeah, to discuss what has been presented on these, uh, like... Uh, largely awaited trial, the VIGOR uh, 010, that is a, a randomized study, as you have mentioned, of uh, adjuvant atezolizumab versus observation in high-risk muscle invasive urethral carcinoma. So th- this is a setting that we know um, that uh, surgery and new adjuvant chemotherapy is a standard of care on muscle invasive, but still there is no conclusive level one evidence for adjuvant chemotherapy. And what has been presented is the results of atezolizumab, that is an immune checkpoint inhibitor that we know is active in a, in a second line and first line uh, black cancer patients. In a, in, and this was studied in, a, in that setting, in, the, in this Invigor uh, 010 trial. So in this trial, uh, let me tell a bit about the population that uh, were eligible for this trial, were patients that uh, had cystectomy um, less than 14 weeks and then uh, have, had lymph node dissection. And those patients that were after surgery um, there was a residual disease, T2, T4A, um, if they have received a new adjuvant chemotherapy or those that were not treated with new adjuvant but uh, had T3 or T4A or N plus were randomized to receive one year of atezolizumab or observation. Uh, no cloud. This was a one-to-one randomization. And uh, as you have mentioned, the primary endpoint was disease pre-survival in the intention to treat population. So there were several stratification factors in this trial, like the number of lymph nodes resected, uh, prior new adjuvant, yes or no, uh, lymph node positive or negative, or PDL1 status, or, or P states uh, less than T2 or more than, than T2. And uh, at, ASCO, at this ASCO, what we have seen is the results of the primary analysis that exists pre survival. Um, and also, we, uh, we have seen some uh, of, of the first interim overall survival um, have been presented. So uh, just to describe the population, uh, 809 patients uh, were randomized. Uh, finally, 390 received atezolizumab, 397 underwent observation. And this was the safety population. Uh, the intention to treat population obviously was the, the whole patient population. And um, as, uh, as has been mentioned, unfortunately, uh, the disease-free survival in the intention to treat population was, uh, was negative. So um, what we saw is that... Um, the median disease-free survival in uh, atezolizumab-treated patients was uh, 19.4. Um, the uh, disease-free survival for the observation arm was 16.4, with a hazard ratio for disease-free survival of uh, 0.89, so meaning that uh, an 11% decrease in, uh, in uh, disease-free survival. And here, uh, Tom, you, know, you have seen the, 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 the curves, and uh, what's your comment on this curves of uh, disease-free survival, what's happening in the very beginning, what's happening at the end of the curve? 
I think the question's a really good one, Joachim, because the curves look like they go apart right at the start. And, you know, at the 12-month time point, um, the curves are, you know, maybe 5 or 10% apart, but then they come back together again. And that's really unexpected. And the treatment, I'm sorry, this is Brian, just to jump in. The treatment was for 12 months, is that yes. right? Yes. Yeah. And so, Joachim, what do you think about those curves, disease-free survival curves going apart and then coming back together? And they come back at sort of 18 months, yeah, yeah, between yeah. 15 and 18 months. Do you think that's because the treatment's being stopped? Or do you, I mean, what's your explanation for that? Well, it's difficult to say. Um, uh, this, yeah, you assume that, that the, the effects of immune therapy may last longer. Um, but yeah, you, we know that the median time for disease recurrence in muscle invasive usually is around a year and a half, so these 18 months. But it's interesting to see that the differences are seen in these first 12 months, and uh, it's after these 15, 18 months where the, the curves converge, and uh, we are like losing the uh, potential effect. And it could be that giving longer period of time of uh, immunotherapy could uh, help our patients. So that's something that, yeah, um, I don't know, Brian, what, what do you think on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that that'll ever be tested. You know, it kind of reminds me of the adjuvant of Aston days, right, yep. in colon cancer when the, the curve split and we said maybe it needs to be given for longer, et cetera. You would assume mechanistically immune therapy would be very different, you know, and that, that early split, I mean, it may or may not be real as well. We're, we're speculating a little bit. Um, I, I have a question about, it sounds like it was a pretty high risk population that was enrolled or at least designed to be that way. Did it end up that way? I mean, sometimes these studies suffer from, you know, not having enough high risk patients, but it doesn't sound like that was the case well, here. About 40% of patients didn't relapse in the control arm. So um, it's, it's a, you know, 60% relapsed. So it's a relatively high risk. Population. Yeah, pretty high risk. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and also, as you mentioned, uh, the, the, the tumor stage after resection, uh, 75% of patients were T3 or T4 disease. So uh, those were high risk population. Okay. Um, yeah. Joachim, can I ask you a second question? Um, some people say to me that are we just, you know, because inevitably we're going to be treating a little bit of early metastatic disease because CT scans aren't perfect. And the other explanation for the curves going apart initially might be that we're sort of treating early metastatic disease for disease-free survival. Uh, and 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 is is that is that a possible explanation? I I don't know the answer. So so I think yeah, yeah you you raised an interesting point. So and and for that obviously everything that we are going to say is completely exploratory, obviously generating. If we go through the forest plot curve, um, so so uh, the data is showing that in fact patients that had T three T four, those were uh, six hundred and four patients. Um, we see that there might be potential uh, a bit of benefit, despite the, the confidence intervals are closing the, the, the one, but the hazard ratio is 0.85. Uh, and this is the only subgroup that potentially derives some benefit when receiving a tesozumab. And this likely supports uh, this uh, like, uh, point that you are suggesting, that we need to have some tumor to create an immune response, right? Uh, and these the patients with a less tumor burden, likely immunotherapy is not working and maybe that the adjuvant setting is the best place to use immunotherapy muscle invasive. Joachim, can we move to the, inter the interim OS analysis in the ITT population? At two years, 60% of patients alive in the control arm, the hazard ratio, um, the overall hazard ratio of 0 0.85, confidence interval 0 0.66 to 1.09. It's interim analysis. 
again, the shape of the curves show, although there's a lot of censoring, the curves seem to come back together again. What's your take on that? Yeah, so we, we see the same as, as the, the disease pre-survival, uh, but here the, the curves, the survival curves converge later on, as expected. So, um, and it's, yeah, it's close to the 27 uh, month uh, medium follow-up when you see that the, the survival curves like converge and uh, it, it looks like we are missing the potential benefit. Um, uh, still, uh, still, the median has not been reached, so we, we need to wait. It could be that we see some uh, like a uh, flattening of the curves uh, in terms of the survival, but still now the results are, are showing that, yeah, those are the curves are converging at, at, after 30 months. And it, it may be that most of those control patients, you know, at relapse certainly would probably get immune therapy, right? Or at some point, I'm, I'm sure you don't have that data yet. But... Yeah, this, is the da this data is not being presented, but the rescuing these patients uh, might be sure. uh, something to consider. The, the point is that when the, this trial was designed, is that uh, in general um, was in, in in places where immunotherapy was not yet approved in second line. So um, and it, it's 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 mm -hmm. something that I haven't seen in the presentation. That likely it might be interesting to see what was the subsequent treatment these patients received. So um, yeah, that's a, a great point. I have a, I have sort of a big picture question. I know there are other adjuvant immune therapy trials going on. I'm not sure I know the details offhand, but do we think this is just in a Tezo issue, you know, PDL1 inhibitor, do we think it sort of bodes for the entire field what we might see? I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about that. Shoki, why don't you take that difficult question? Uh, yeah, so that's, that's a really <laughs> tricky question. So uh, uh, we all the time are encouraging people to still accrue patients in these, uh, the ongoing adjuvant uh, uh, immunotherapy trials, sure. PD1 trials, pembrolizumab is, a, is, a, is a accruing still. So um, patient population is going to be Different. So, um, and, and we'll, we'll see. But uh, yeah, initially, it, we were really disappointing on, on seeing these results. Obviously, we were, we were hoping that immunotherapy was going to help in this uh, high risk population. Yeah. I don't know. Shokim, I've got to jump Tom. in now and I've got to ask you about this important question the PDL1 status, the biomarker positive patients in frontline metastatic disease, the biomarker positive, uh, the biomarker positivity seems to be crucial for monotherapy. We know that. We've been told that by the EMA and the FDA. Um, yet in this adjuvant study, the biomarker IC2, C2, 3, the positive population for disease-free survival, the hazard ratio is 1.01. What's happened there? Why has it not? Yeah, so, uh, so the, the, the PDL one status is, is using as, as far as we move to uh, different disease settings, what, what the only thing that uh, we can see from this trial is that here it looks like uh, patients having um, the, the, the PDL1 positivity 2 plus 3 plus, they have a much better uh, disease free survival and a, a much better survival. So, at least for, for, uh, for a disease free survival, because still we don't have a data on survival, we see that the, the patients in the observation arm they have a, a median disease free survival of 41 months. For a telemizumab, it's even detrimental. We see that disease-free survival is 24.8 months. Obviously, this is not the... Uh, 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 so we, we don't have sufficient number of patients just to uh, be clear on that, but uh, we compare that with patients uh, with a PDL1 scoring zero uh, or one. We see that the median disease-free survival is, uh, is inferior, uh, 16 months and 11 months in the observation arm. So it seems that even telemizumab is benefiting the patient who are PDL1 negative, um, 
in, in, in this comparison, although nothing is, is significant. I don't know what, what you think about that. I mean, the OS data seems to be trending in the other direction. So the OS has a ratio in the biomarker positives. It's immature and it's not being tested formally, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the, it's 0 0.88. It's not significant. But we, we, uh, you know, the, the, the difficulty with this is that, that the, the things that we thought we knew, you know, the biomarkers important, in, we, we don't <laughs> seem to be getting right. And it really concerns me. Um, and, and it just means that they're, they're more unknown. They're probably more unknowns in store for us in the future. Um, it's a difficult question. Brian, what about you? Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's you know, the clinical data obviously is disappointing. But then, you know, when, when what you thought you knew about a biomarker in a disease maybe isn't true is, is similarly disappointing or maybe even more so because it just means you understand less about the biology than you thought you did. And and I assume, I mean, one thing that, you know, um, this company's done really well is, is biomarker development, certainly in RCC. So I hope there's other biomarker work ongoing for this study that might, you know, if there's not clinical benefit, at least, uh, you know, make us smarter about the biology Crucial question, disease. Joachim. Adverse events leading to discontinuation, 16% for atezolizumab. Do you think that influenced results? Grade three or four adverse events of 37% of any grade treatment related um 16 percent do you think the 16 percent treatment related adverse events and the 16 percent discontinuation do you think that influenced the efficacy results so yeah so likely it might impact but you can see that the grade three four in the observation arm is in seen in 20 percent of the patients so uh and these patients theoretically were not receiving anything right so only observation so um yeah, there is, there is double the number of serious adverse events, 31% versus 18%. So, but still, we see something in the observation arm. So this, this, is, this population is like a bit tricky. The, the adjuvant population is the same as uh, we have seen in the, in the source, uh, in the RCC uh, trial, where even pa uh, these patients are unable to tolerate that well the, 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 the treatment given uh, in this adjuvant setting. So they are much more prone to develop side effects. So uh, uh, likely because they are healthier patients who have a, a advanced or metastatic disease. Yeah, those numbers seem pretty high just for Atezo, which I think is pretty darn well tolerated as monotherapy. Uh, maybe to your point, Joaquin, that in an adjuvant setting, and especially this adjuvant setting, it, it, to me, just on a gross level, those numbers seem pretty um, high. Joachim, got a question for you. Um, another difficult one, which I'm not going to answer. <laughs> um, there are some neoadjuvant <laughs> studies out there those neoadjuvant studies looking at the combination of chemotherapy plus immune therapy, and they have a period of adjuvant immune therapy associated with them. Um, what do you think about the prospects of the neoadjuvant trials? And should those neoadjuvant trials incorporate that period of immune therapy, adjuvant immune therapy? So, yeah, so that's, that's a good question. I, I think, well, that, that's pretty clear that the uh, the new adjuvant trials that have uh, presently been reported with uh, with uh, yeah, your trial, the Abacus trial, the the Pure trial, and also uh, the Nabucco trial that is uh, um, combining uh, Durvatrem and Limumab. So in, in all these settings, so we see uh, uh, complete pathological responses in the in between 30 or 40 percent. So and the question is, if we uh, like invigorate our immune system with giving new adjuvant uh, immunotherapy. Maybe then the, the these might be helpful in the in the adjuvant setting, and this is I think that in Brian you might uh, 
tell us about uh, this concept exploring uh, in kidney cancer. So this, there are a lot of theories there, but uh, nothing fully fully known. But uh, who knows? Yeah, I, I agree. A lot of theories, not enough clinical data. I mean, you know, clearly there's benefit in the adjuvant melanoma space. So the idea of requiring tumor antigen isn't true across all diseases, although it may be true within certain diseases. You know, in renal, those trials haven't read out yet. And there's, I think, only one large one that includes a neoadjuvant component. So we'll we'll see. But that that whole question about requiring presence of antigen and the role of neoadjuvant is, uh, in GU cancers, you know, largely unanswered. Um, Joachim, um, I guess the last question which I've got for you is about the future. Um, this is an interim overall survival analysis, but the disease-free survival was 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 the alpha. That's where the alpha spend was allocated, and that's been and gone now. So it's essentially a negative trial. Um, what's going to happen? We're going to follow up the overall survival signal. Um, what is going to happen in the future? here in your what effects this is going to have on the urothelial cancer field because we've got a non-muscle invasive approval for pembrolizumab um, off a phase two trial um, you might remember in the past we've done lots of phase two studies and then failed to confirm things with the randomized phase three are we going too fast with immune checkpoint inhibitors in muscle invasive and non-muscle invasive bladder cancer yeah, so, yeah, that's that's a great point. I, I think that we need to go fast. We do not have a sufficient number of patients, sufficient time to test the hypothesis. And obviously, running fast, you are at risk to crash. And this is what uh, is happening in, uh, in, in some <laughs> trials, right? But, uh, yeah, likely the future is going to be uh, using immunotherapy in non-muscle invasive. When the patients are recurring, likely we will need to add some... Uh, uh, some other uh, medications to uh, modulate the immune environment, maybe chemotherapy, maybe uh, who, who knows, other immunotherapy compounds. Uh, maybe we, we are going to resensitize the, the tumor microenvironment uh, after some period of time and we will be able to use again immunotherapy. Sequencing and uh, combination is going to be a, a, a tricky thing in the future. Absolutely. Brian, any final comments? No, I'm you know, interested to sort of see the full data, you know, again, a little bit disappointing, but I think it's just the beginning of the story, not the end. So, you know, should still accrue to these other trials, see what comes in. You know, we've seen differences across drugs and settings in other, you know, with other IO agents. So I think it's just one, one you small piece of the story. The same as yours is this is one trial of many in this environment. And I think some of the trials will be positive. And I think the neoadjuvant question is a very important one and remains a legitimate question. And I think the path CR rates that we've seen, as you suggested, Joachim, in this environment are provocative. And I hope we can supersede neoadjuvant chemotherapy in this space, either supersede it or combine with it. Uh, and that might make a big difference for the future. So uh, I don't think this story is told yet. Uh, and, I, and I look forward to the results of other trials. Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. All right. Thanks Have for joining, Joaquin. Thanks, Tim. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks everyone.